Great. Okay. So if you've, um, if you've got a Bible, it'd be great if you could keep it open. I'm going to ask you to do a bit of flicking. And, um, and if, you've got a, if you're a little person and you've got a grown-up uh, near you, I'm going to ask you maybe at times to have a little chat with your grown-up and to try and get me the right uh, answer. So do, uh, do keep your Bibles open. Um, so here at Utterbridge, you're going through the book of Exodus and, um, and you're following the people of Israel as God rescues them from their enemies and brings them into their own land. So let me just, uh, oh, not quite, not quite. Okay, there we go. Um, he brings them into their own land, uh, into their own place uh, to be their own nation and their own people with God as their king ruling over them. That's what's happening in the, in the book of Exodus. Now, did you notice in the reading where the people are now? Did you notice that right at the beginning? Just um, have a look in your Bibles at, at verse 1 and 2. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Um, maybe chat to your, to your grown-up, or if you're both grown-ups, you can chat to each other. And um, I just want you to find out where the people are now, and then I want you to find out what's their accommodation at the moment. I'll give you 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Lots of whispering, very good. Okay, let's, let's have some feedback. Can, you tell, can anyone shout out to me? Uh-huh. Yes. Where, where are the people? They are camping. They are, aren't they? They're camping. I was going to give you some options, whether they were in an Airbnb, a travel lodge, a luxury spa, or a tent. They were, no, they're in a tent, aren't they? And whereabouts are they in the tent? Yeah, go for it. They're, they're in the desert, aren't they? They're in the desert of Sinai, and they are camping in tents. Now, I don't know if you love camping or not, but um, the Israelites, uh, they're going to be camping for for a little while, uh, so I hope they get used to it. Um, uh, But did you notice the little detail there in verse 2? The writer of our story, you probably didn't notice it, the writer of our story doesn't say that they're at the bottom of a mountain. He says they're at the bottom of the mountain. Did you see that? They're not at the bottom of just any old mountain. They're at the bottom of a very specific mountain. He says this because, you don't need to flick to it, but back in chapter 3, verse 10, God made some huge promises to Israel. Let me just, um, let me just read them uh, to you. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 10. This is what God uh, says to Moses. He says to Moses, Go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. See, right back at the beginning, before any of the plagues, before any of the Red Sea, before any of that chaos, God said to Moses, I am going to be with you. And this is how you're going to know, because once it's all done, once all of that uh, incredible redeeming acts have been finished, I'm going to bring you to this mountain. And so here Moses is with, with all the people. He sat now at the foot of the mountain. You see, God always keeps uh, his promises. And as we read through the Bible, we just find God making promise after promise. And this is another one. See, this isn't just any old mountain. This is the very specific mountain, which shows that God really is working through Moses to bring about his uh, purposes. Uh, You see, God is a promise-keeping God. And so Exodus 19 
Uh, here they are. He, he, God said he was going to do it, and he has. Now, the title of your series in this book is, um, is what? Can someone tell me what, what the title of your series is? It's, um, it's very memorable. Maybe it's not that memorable. <laughs> this is your title. Your title is The Rescuer That... Res- oh, The Ruler, sorry, Who Rescues for relationship. You see, you can see Chris has been to Bible college because they teach you that sort of stuff in Bible college, right? They teach you to start everything with the same letter. I could never come up with that. I'm, n- I'm not clever enough. Um, the, the, the ruler who rescues for relationship. And what we've seen and what you've seen, hopefully, in the first 18 chapters of es- Exodus is the rescue of the Israelites from their enemies. But starting in chapter 19... I think that the story starts to change. And particularly next week, as you head into the Ten Commandments, we start to see what the Israelites have been rescued for. See, they've been rescued for a restored relationship with God, a relationship with this God, with the promise-keeping God. Now, as we read chapter 19 just then, though, I wonder whether you spotted the immediate problem to that. See, there is a huge problem facing the Israelites. Look down again at at verse 9 to 12. Um, Just look back in your your Bibles at chapter 18, uh, verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 9 to 12. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. That then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. Big problem, isn't it? If you're going to come to be in relationship with this God, but you can get nowhere near him, well, how on earth is that supposed to happen? Now, I've got a little quiz that I need a bit of help with, okay? So um, I'm just going to put that down. And it's a very, very easy quiz. Each slide has got two questions. The first question is this. Which one is safe and which one is dangerous? And then the follow-up question is... Uh, what would you need to protect yourself from the thing that was dangerous? So um, uh, this side of the church has spoken a lot. So oh, here we go, over here. Which one is dangerous? Yeah. The lion is dangerous, isn't it? The lion is very dangerous. Now, um, I, I, um, I, I lived in Africa for a few years, and we used to go on, on safaris. And there was one time I was in the, the truck, and we were sat watching a, a lion, and it was sleeping because they always uh, sleep. And um, I just had my foot hanging over the edge of the uh, truck. It's, it's, it's not that an exciting story, actually. But the driver, as soon as he saw my foot hang over the edge, the driver said, whoa. Put your foot inside, you know, because lions are very dangerous. Now, if you're going to be on your own out in the wild with a lion, what sort of things might do you think you need to protect yourself? Oh, yeah. Go on. You might need some food for the lion. Very good. Yeah, that's very good. That's kind of uh, distraction tactics. Yeah, what else might you need? A, A protection suit. You might do. Do you know what I thought I might need if I was going to go face-to-face with a lion? I, was, I might need 
a four-wheel drive, I know this is a tractor, but just imagine this is a four-wheel drive Land Rover and it's very protected. I couldn't find uh, a Land Rover. And you might need, this is a water pistol, but imagine this was a real-life gun. And, and that's what people carry, isn't it, when they go roaming about the wild if there are lions about. So you might need a vehicle to stand inside and, and you might need a gun. And now, now, So those are two things that might protect you from a lion. Now, let's, let's carry on. Uh, ah, okay. Who can tell me about this one? Safe uh, or dangerous? We, we've been over here. Let's go over this side. Okay, yeah. The one where they're in the snow. Does anyone know where that, where that picture is? Anyone guess? Yeah, go on right at the back. It is Mount Everest, and very specifically, it's the Kumbu Icefall. Uh, which is one of the most dangerous climbing routes uh, in, in, in all the world. And so this is obviously a very rickety bridge that you've got to get over. What, what kind of things do you think you might need if you were going to be uh, protected across the, the, that kind of bridge? Yeah, go on. Did you have any? Um, you might need a harness. Very good. What else might you need? Yeah, go on. Ropes. You might need some ropes. I couldn't find any ropes in my garage this morning, um, but uh, I could find a helmet, um, and and you probably need some good shoes, don't you? And I, again, I couldn't find any uh, any spiky shoes, but I could find some wellies. So I think if I'm going across the Kumbu Icefall, I need some. I need to be protected, and so well, I think these things might help a, a little bit. Okay, let's let's keep going. Oh my goodness, what about this safe? Uh, or dangerous. I should have put a picture of a mountain bike on there because um, that's particularly dangerous to me. Um, which one's safe? Which one's dangerous? Yes. Yeah. That's right. The base, the base, the base jumper. Yeah. So that I think they call that a squirrel suit. And so that's all you need, actually, when you're, you jump off buildings and out of aeroplanes and you just put your arms out and then you just... And there are some terrifying videos on the internet that you can watch with people soaring around. Now, if you were going to do that, what kind of thing do you think you might need? Um, yes. Exactly right. You might need a, you might need a parachute. So, um, so I, I, brought my, uh, I brought my parachute with me this morning so that I'm going to be protected for my way home when I go when I go base jumping okay let's keep going now then here you go this is very topical and I made this I made this powerpoint before last night if you are the Danish goalkeeper uh, who is safe and who is dangerous in this picture who's in the picture yeah come on then sorry well, who's this? If you were the Danish goalkeeper, does anyone know who the pink person is? That's probably this shows your age if you do know who the pink person is. <laughs> Mr. Blobby, very good, yeah, Mr. Blobby. So it's not it's not Mr. Tumble. Mr. Blobby is someone who, when I was a child, was on the telly. So yeah, so the main guy, who's the main guy in the picture? Oh no, that's Mr. Blobby, and then the other guy's Harry Kane, isn't he? So he's England's star striker, and if you're the Danish goalkeeper, he's the most dangerous player on the pitch, okay? Because he's going to put the ball in the back of the net, all right? Now, what kind of things do you might need if you're the Danish goalkeeper to protect yourself from Harry Kane, apart from good defenders? What might you need? Exactly, you might need some goalkeeper gloves. Here we go. All right, okay, I've got some goalkeeper gloves here, so I'm going to put those on. All right, here we go. These aren't uh, particularly good goalkeeper gloves, but they're what I could find. Right, okay, let's carry on. Uh, 
<gasps> now then, safe or, or dangerous? This is, um, I've put this in for my son because he loves uh, this. Yeah, go for it. Who's that chap? Yeah, is that, who is that chap in the black suit? That's Darth Vader, isn't it? And Darth Vader in the films of Star Wars is quite dangerous. Now, if you were going to go and face Darth Vader, what do you need? Yeah. You need a lightsaber. Right, here we go. I've got a lightsaber. Uh, okay. Oh, yes, it worked. I've always, I've always wanted to do that, actually. So you need a, you need a lightsaber, don't you? If you're going to face uh, Darth Vader, you need a lightsaber. Now, I have missed one out somewhere let me see if it's if i just go back here if i can find it maybe i skipped over it it should be there but it's not there never mind okay on them on my final one it doesn't matter too much there was a picture of a little tiny uh, wiggly it looks like a wiggly worm but it's tiny 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 and you might see it in a little petri dish and it was a it was a virus and it was called the Ebola virus, right? And next to the Ebola virus was a picture of a butterfly. And, of course, the Ebola virus is one of the most dangerous viruses in the world. And what you need to protect yourself against that? Well, you need, you need one of these yellow suits, okay? So one of these big yellow suits. You need to put that on, and then you need one of these. And, uh, and then, I think, you're sort of ready, right? Oh, I can't get that on my helmet. You're ready. You're, you're ready to go. So, um... Now, all of these things I was thinking about, all these things that we need protection from, and that got me thinking a little bit about Exodus uh, chapter 19. So let's just go back uh, to, uh, let's just go back to our passage and let's just have a little look at what, what it says here. See, with all of those things on, I'm ready, aren't I? I'm prepared, I'm protected. Whatever the thing I might face, I need special equipment, special clothes, special things so that I'm ready, I'm prepared, and I'm protected to face those dangerous things. And do you see how that's a bit similar to what's happening in Exodus 19? So you just look down at your Bibles again. Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, God is coming to his people. But this chapter in the Bible says you can't just walk up to God and say hello. They need to make themselves ready. They have to get prepared and they must be protected, just like with the lion and with Darth Vader. There's a limit to how close you can get to God because, and this is the first major point that I want you to remember this morning, the first point is that God is dangerously holy. God is dangerously holy. You see, Israel, as we've already learned in the book of Exodus, and as you're going to learn even more in the next two chapters, Israel are a bunch of sinners, like we all are. They've said, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rules. Israel are a rebellious people. And God, well, well, like like Chris just talked about at the very beginning, God is holy. He is perfectly good. He is totally different to us. He is separate. He's set apart. He's on his own. He is not like us at all. He is white, hot, perfect. And the Bible says that that level of holiness just cannot mix with a sinful people just like you can't just walk up to a wild roaring lion because it would destroy you in an instant the israelites here cannot just wander up to meet with god the all-powerful 
creating, ruling, saving, holy God. They would be destroyed in an instant. For a sinful people, God is dangerously holy. Now, I don't know if you've ever really thought about that before, if you've ever thought about God being like that. We don't sing many songs like that, do we? You know, we go into chapter, verse 2 of the song, which is about how dangerous God is. There aren't songs written like that. And, and normally, when something is dangerous, what do you do when something's dangerous? You run away from it, don't you? You try and get as far away from that thing as possible. But all the way through the Bible... And indeed, when we come to uh, church, we're encouraged to come to the Lord, uh, to come and get close to God, to get to know him. He's described as our father, as our shelter, as our refuge, as our friend. But here in Exodus 19, we need to see that God is not something to be messed about with. He is holy and he is good. And for a dirty, scruffy, sinful people like us, well, that is actually very dangerous. When I was um, a little bit younger, um, uh, Ruth, uh, my wife and I, we went walking in the Peak District one day. And by the end of the day, well, you can imagine, we were so dirty and we were so smelly, at least I was. I had dirty walking boots. I'd trodden in unmentionable things. Uh, There were flies following us uh, along the road. And at the end of our walk, we'd parked next to a very fancy hotel near, um, near Lewes Hill. That hotel is so fancy if you've ever been there. And I said, oh, come on, Ruth, let's, um, let's go for a quick coffee before we go home. That's all we could afford uh, at the time. And um, you know what? As we walked into that shiny, clean, beautifully smelling, pristine and polite environment, well, it was not enjoyable at all. The cleanness of the hotel just showed up how dirty we were. And it became very obvious that we shouldn't be there at all. There should have been a limit at the door of that hotel for dirty people like us to go into such a clean, such a holy place. For the Israelites to get anywhere near God, they needed to get ready, to get prepared, to get protected. There was a limit to how close dirty people like them could get to a holy God. See, point number one this morning then is that God is dangerously holy. We're going to take a quick pause and I think we're going to sing a song before we come back. Fantastic, thanks. Do, uh, do take a seat, grab your Bibles again, and we're going to keep going. So at section one, uh, remember this one, God is dangerously holy. Um, so th- that was the problem that the Israelites had. H- how can they enter into relationship with this holy God? Uh, just now then, we're going to think about the solution, because of course they could, and of course we can And so what's the solution? Well, the solution is always found in in God himself. If our first point this morning was that God is dangerously holy, then the second thing I need you to remember this morning is that God is deeply gracious. Uh, God is deeply uh, gracious. Just read uh, verse 3 to 6 with me again. Uh, Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, You'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak 
uh, to the Israelites. So I've got another little quiz for us. Let's see if I can... Aha, here we go. I've got another little quiz for us. Um, And this one's even easier than the last one. Um, The first question with these is, I just want you to tell me what the treasured possession is and then what the person who has this might do with it. Okay, so who can tell me uh, what this is? Uh, Yeah, go on then. It's a ring. What type of ring? A shiny one? What kind of, yeah. It is a, it's, it's just before a wedding ring. It's an engagement ring, isn't it? So this is when a man wants to tell a lady that he likes her very much and would like her to uh, be his um, special friend forever uh, when he asks her to marry her. And often what we do in our culture is we buy a shiny ring like, like this one. And, and if you ask um, a lady who has one of these things, she'll probably tell you that it is one of her treasured possessions. What do, um, what, I don't know if you've ever met uh, a couple when they first got engaged. What, what do they do with, with this? <laughs> oh, they kiss? Well, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't possibly comment on that particularly, but with regard to the treasured possession, they, they often show it off, don't they? they? They walk around sort of holding their hand out like this, hoping that people will notice how shiny it is. But they look after it. They take care of it. They keep it very close to themselves on their finger. They'll never take it off ever, ever, ever. They might clean it and, um, and they'll show it off. You see, it's, it's, it's a treasured uh, possession. Um, what, about, what about this? What, what is this picture sort of showing? What do we think? Uh, yeah, go on. A family, exactly, yeah. So um, if you ask people, they might say, well, my treasured possession are my, are my children, um, are my family. And, and you might actually have a picture a bit like this one uh, on your bedside table or uh, on, your, you know, on, on the side in your home. And, and these people are your, your treasured possession. And look what they're all doing in the photo, what they're all doing. They're all, this is obviously free from COVID restrictions. They're all hugging and kissing. They're being together. That's what you do, isn't it, with your, with your people? Who are your treasured uh, possessions? You get them close to you. You cuddle them. You sit with them. You have good times. That's what you do with your treasured uh, possessions. And what about, what about this? What is that? I wish this was mine. Yeah, go on. Th- what is this? It is, isn't it? So this is actually signed by the 1966 World Cup winning team. So um, if we win this tournament, then things like this won't be as treasured anymore because we'll have a new team to talk about 55 years later. But for some people, this kind of thing is their treasured possession. And if you go to some people's houses, they might have this kind of thing maybe in a, in a frame on the wall or you know, they'll, uh, they'll keep it safe, won't they? They'll look after it because to them, it's probably worth a lot of money, but it's also a very uh, treasured uh, possession. See, you might have your own treasured possession. Um, and, and I'm sure if we went around the room, you could tell me what that uh, was. Maybe think about it now. And how do you treat that special thing? You probably look after it um, so carefully so as not to, not to damage it. Um, you keep it uh, close to you. Um, you protect it. Um, whether it's the engagement ring or the family photo or... Um, oh, here we go. Here's another one. Or a family pet or even the England shirt. You're going to look after that thing. Um, it's precious. It's your treasured possession. And normally when we have that thing that we love above everything else, it's because that thing is valuable to us, right? It's special. It's worthy in some way. But what did we learn about the Israelites? 
at the beginning of this um, uh, talk this morning, we learn about the Israelites that they are a bunch of rebellious sinners. They're dirty and scruffy before God. They're not lovely. They are not precious. And yet, did you hear what God said about them in those verses? Here's what he said. He said, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you, dirty, scruffy Israelites, you will be my treasured possession. See, despite their sin, God has decided that he's going to treat them differently. He's going to show them, and here's the big Bible word, he's going to show them grace. He's going to make them into his treasured possession. Yes, God is dangerously holy, but rather than run away from him, Because he's also deeply gracious to sinners like me and you, we can come close. In the words of Exodus 19 here, God will bring us to himself. We don't need to run away. We can come close. Now, as Christians here today, of course, it's great that we can see this great truth from the Old Testament. But what's absolutely wonderful about the Bible is that we can see the same truth all the way through it. We can see the same truth in in Exodus And then we can see it again when we look at Jesus. And just as we finish, I want you to turn uh, in your Bibles uh, with me to Hebrews chapter 18. Now that is right at the other end of your uh, Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, which is um, page 1,211. Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 18. Uh, page 1,211. And the writer of the Hebrews uh, is, is talking about our story back in Exodus 19. Listen to what he says. Chapter 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that it would know that no further word would be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Do you hear what the writer of the Hebrews says here? You see now he's writing to people like you and me, people who can look at what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Uh, Not Mount Sinai, but Mount Zion, the writer says. And he can say say to us, you don't need to come with fear and trembling, but you can come with joy because your names are written in heaven. If you trust Jesus this morning, by dying on the cross, Jesus has taken all of our dirty, scruffy sin that makes relationship with God impossible. Jesus is the one who faced all of the fire and the gloom and the darkness and the storm on the cross. He was the one who was killed because he became so dirty and filled with our sin. So that now, this, even this morning, we can approach God with joy and confidence. See, the first point is still true. God is still dangerously 
holy to sinful people. But because of his deep grace, we have a ruler who has rescued us for relationship with him. This morning, as we come into Utterbridge Parish Church, there is no fire and smoke and trumpets. We can come with confidence knowing that Jesus has taken all of that uh, badness and darkness uh, and fear, and so we can come with joy and confidence. We have got a ruler, Jesus, who has rescued us for relationship with him. It's the greatest news uh, in all the world. And if this morning you're sitting here and you think, oh, do you know what? I'm uh, not sure uh, that I've ever said a sorry prayer to Jesus before and that I'm still sitting here with my sin. And maybe I need to say that sorry prayer even this morning so that my sin and darkness can go to Jesus and I can have a relationship with him. You know, this morning would be a great time uh, to do that. So let us pray uh, as we finish uh, our time uh, together. Uh, Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for your words. Lord, we thank you that we can look back at a story hundreds and hundreds of years ago and we see the same truths that we then see hundreds of years later in the Lord Jesus. Father God, we uh, recognise that you are powerful and you are different to us. You're a holy God and that means you're dangerous. We cannot just wander uh, up to you. But Lord, we thank you that because of the Lord Jesus, because what he did for us on the cross, taking our sin, because of your deep grace, we can have a restored relationship with you. Father God, we pray that you help us uh, to say sorry for our sin this morning and to come into relationship with you. Help us to live with you as our king, uh, as we should. We pray these things knowing that you uh, listen to us and answer our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.